Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, enlightening our eyes, the eyes of our hearts to be able to see and to know the hope of your calling within us, the glorious inheritance that is within us, Father, that you've deposited within us, Lord. Your word makes that come alive. And so, Father, I pray today for uh, a revelation in the word of God that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that there would be an opening up in the eyes of our understanding, in our hearts, what you are saying to us, not only today, but even to us as a generation, God, what you are saying to us in this season. Lord, I pray for the power of your word to have its work within our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'm gonna be starting a series on the anointing. And I'm pretty excited about this, actually. The anointing, what it is, what it does, why we need it, how it affects our lives individually, how it will then affect the church as a whole. We will learn over these next few weeks. This is going to take quite a few weeks. And I believe God's going to be doing some pretty amazing things during this, these next few weeks. I believe God has already been doing something. There's been a shifting and a shaking ha happening in our lives, hasn't there? Especially over the last month or two. And uh, something is definitely changing and happening as we all open up our hearts to what God is saying and doing. We're going to learn that we have an anointing when we're born again. It automatically comes within us. We're going to look into the scriptures and understand all of that. We're going to see also that as the body as a whole, the church, the body of Christ, by her very nature as the body of Christ, is anointed by God as well. We're going to understand these things. Um, however, there are times when an increase or a fuller, greater fullness of the manifestation of the anointing comes in the form of what people can sometimes label as revival. And it's something so powerful that it can actually only come from God. We can't create our own revivals. We can ask, we can wait, we can seek. Just like on the day of Pentecost, Jesus told them to wait in the upper room and pray, but it was the Holy Spirit who determined the time, the hour, the place, and, and the explosion of what that would look like. And so it's something so powerful that can only come from God, but what we're going to learn, especially today, is that it demands a response from God's people. It is an obvious manifestation and an obvious display of, his, of the Holy Spirit. It's really amazing when I started to reflect on this that one generation ago, we saw the beginnings of a revival in Australia. In fact, there may be some of us also here that may remember those times where we really and truly witnessed an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was quite extraordinary. And it was anointing us as individuals, but also anointing the church as a whole in a completely new and fresh way. And it spread. There were many churches, many conferences were ignited because of this, and it continued that fire that was burning in people's hearts. Just out of interest, was there anyone here today who remembers that time in the mid-90s? Yeah? Yeah. That's it. Oof. At that time, God opened many doors for me, and I'm just talk, talking about from my personal experience here. As a young, uncredentialed woman in my mid-30s, mid to late 30s, think about it, I was 37, 38, no credentials from a Bible college, still haven't gone to Bible college. Taught in them, but haven't been. But God opened incredible doors in that season to minister, to preach in conferences and churches around the nation. I remember, I remember being in the um, Brisbane Entertainment Centre, being taken there with a minister called Ken Gott. He was a minister from England and Brahma and I were travelling with him around Australia, ministering the worship and um, he was tired and so he asked me to preach. But the trouble is, or the trouble was, it was to a room full of senior pastors and leaders from Queensland. But it felt really easy and really natural and really right because when the anointing is there, when you're operating in the anointing and it's coming into an environment that is inviting and wanting the anointment, uh, the anointment, the anointing and the power of God, it becomes very easy. It becomes something that just seems really natural. I remember in that time traveling around with a woman called Stacy Campbell, her and her husband are Canadians and, and they lead a prophetic ministry overseas. And I remember her and I, and once again, this is before we even started the church. This is before we even thought about starting the church. And God, when I look back on that now and think, I was 37, 38 years old, 
had no credentials, who was I? And yet the, God opened doors and God did powerful things, not just on my life, obviously on many people's lives. But there was an ease. When the anointing of God comes in a manifestation that is tangible and powerful, there is an ease in church building. There is something that comes that is, it flows and it just becomes easy. These last few weeks, I'm telling you, we could have preached Mary Mary had a little lamb and we would have had demons coming out at the end of the service. Is that true? Sorry, Brian, that's not an insult to your sermons. <laughs> they were amazing sermons. But when the Spirit of God comes in power, everything flows easier and quicker. And it's easy to move in an, in an anointing when it finds its home in an anointed environment. I remember there were sermons that sprung out of that move of God from this uncredentialed woman. I look back now and go, God, I, I actually can't believe that that all happened. But it seems so natural and it seems so right at the time. It was fast moving. It's, it's amazing. I look back on my notes now and, um, and I see that uh, in the introduction to all my notes, and I was just looking at them yesterday, 1997, 1996, 1995, 1998, and in all my introductions it was, there is a move happening everywhere. Make the most of what God is doing. I remember my kids at Waverley Christian College would go to the, um, what did you call it? Chapel services. And there would be a move of God in chapel. Who remembers that? Yeah. Th this is what, Dan, Dan, you're allowed to put your hand up. Two, you can put two hands up if you want. That's when he got saved. See, we, we try so hard to get people saved in our own strength. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God begins to move, people will flock to the power of God, because something changes and something shifts. So this was an environment, I remember, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, hang on, we'll keep, we'll just, let me, let me, let me build this chronologically, because I've been under the power of God since yesterday, getting, I could not wait for us to hurry up and get through worship, sorry Lord, so that I could preach, because I can feel the burning of the Spirit of God in me right now, because I know God is preparing to do something really powerful in our nation once again. I'm not the only voice saying this. I know there are others saying this in our nation. They are. They're saying it in this city. But I remember looking, when I looked back on my sermons, I was just doing it yesterday, and it's amazing. They captured what God was saying there. And we, we personally saw incredible moves of God, not only here, but also overseas. It's, look, it's like wherever we went, the Spirit of God just moved. Not only that, but I saw many people commissioned in our meetings and we're, we're going to learn over these next few weeks. We're going to end, but uh, I'm going to do a two-week series, two-week sermons on just the laying on of hands. Now, you might think that sounds really boring. It is not. It is the most exciting thing when you understand. It is powerful. But I saw commissioning in our meetings where till today there are apostles and prophets in powerful ministries in in Australia and in Indonesia that God released back then, just through powerful touches of the Holy Spirit, through prophetic words and through the laying on of hands. I was 38, guys, what did I know? I hadn't been raised to be a pastor in a church. Brian and I had never been assistant pastors. We hadn't come through the ranks of it. We were like David on a hill with a guitar, taking down lions and bears. And all of a sudden, we're on this national and international stage and God's got us moving in a way that it seemed really natural because we'd done it before on our own. So here we are, we're seeing amazing things. There's a young woman called Martha Domley, at 26 years old in, um, in the Ambon church. She told me this just recently. When we went up there in 97, and we had a powerful move of God, all the youth came out, and they were all getting, we, we called it slain in the spirit. It sounds so ridiculous. But people were falling down under the power of God, falling down backwards, falling forwards. You, you know, when the spirit of God comes on us, we get weak at the knees. I, I actually feel it now. I often feel it in church. I used to shake so hard under the power of God. I'd had four men standing around me. They didn't know which way I was going to go when I was shaking. Now I can control it a little bit better, but even now I can feel it. My, my knees and my legs are ready to go under me. Now, not everyone's going to feel that, but I'm telling you, he is real. This is real. And it's for a purpose. It's not so that we can stand behind a microphone and say, my legs feel weak. I'm just explaining this to you so we understand there were many things that came out of that move. There were a lot of errors and a lot of tangents that the church went on that was completely unnecessary. 
But the power of God is given out to us for a reason, and we're going to learn about this. But this woman, this young 26-year-old woman, I prayed for her, and I didn't know her from a bar of soap, and I remember praying for her. She went out cold, down on the ground for five hours. They had to carry her out, drunk, and, and she'd been almost, she couldn't remember anything uh, for five hours. And I prophesied this, I remember it was this amazing word over this woman that I didn't know, that there was going to be this powerful prophetic and intercessory gift on her life. Well, she told me a few years ago that when she was down, that God was ministering to her and showing her things. Well, she ended up leading the prayer tower in Ambon, which when they went through persecution only a few years later, she led this team of, and they're still going, this, this prayer tower is still going 24-7. They don't just do one-hour shifts, they do two-hour shifts. They had regulars that go in at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Every, every once a week. And this is what they do. They pray and they just, they base it on David's tabernacle, just worshiping and hearing the presence of God. The miracles, the stories, most of you have heard me tell these stories, but they would have rockets being launched in, during the persecution towards their church. And as they're worshiping and praying inside that very building, the rockets were seen to actually go on a 45 degree angle. Is that 45 degrees or is that 90? I was never good at math, so I just thought, I'm saying that to Dan, and Dan's this, like, this mathematical genius. He's sitting there thinking, she's such an idiot. She can't even get her angles right. Anyway, it went like that. You get the point, right? Okay? You're getting the point. There were miracles, so many miracles that happened, and she headed this up. Well, now her husband and her are apostles in another little island in, in, uh, in Ambon, in, in the Molucca region. And there, she, she was telling me, and, and my brother, brother-in-law Chris was telling me, she has seen incredible things where she's actually prayed and prophesied to the weather, and there have been shifts in weather uh, systems because of her prayers. That all happened back in this move of God. There was a commissioning. There was another one. Ruth Swift, she's a past, she was a pastor's wife. And um, I remember being, it was during this time, and I was at a, 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 some sort of gathering, and I was, I was the main speaker for the whole thing. And I remember, I was wild back then. I've really tamed down, guys. <laughs> I actually have. And I remember grabbing her, and I said, and I grabbed her, she's the, she's the senior pastor's wife, and I'm walking her up and down like this, and I'm, and I'm doing this prophetic kind of thing. I don't do stuff like that anymore, but I was doing that, and I was just like this wild woman. I said, this is what God's going to do with you, up and down the nation of Australia. You are going to traverse it because you will be a prophetic voice that will, God will rise up. Today, she is the senior prophet of the apostolic movement in Australia. There's a this isn't about me. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. Okay? I'm just the, remember in DMSU, and we're just the dirty hose, the conduit of the blessing of God. All right? So let's, let's keep it all in perspective, all right? I mean, you're looking at a dirty hose that just has a, I'm a channel for the Spirit of God, right? So this is not about, uh, yeah, what, what did I say? Huh? Oh, a garden hose. Are oh, you guys... All this young generation needs their mind washed out with soap, seriously. Yeah, yeah? Excuse you for the podcast. Yeah, right. Dirty Garden Hose, H-O-S-E. Oh, my gosh, Melbourne Life, what is wrong with you? Yeah, there's deliverance coming for... Come, it's coming, it's on its way. Anyway... Then there was another one. This, this is, I, I started reflecting back and I realized it all happened at that time. And I remember I was at, I was at City Life. I think they'd already changed their name by then. I can't really remember, but it was in the early, very early 2000s. I can't remember. And this was just coming off the back of this move of God. And I was asked to go there to do prophetic presbytery, which is, you know, like we do here. And there were several prophets, and we'd stand up front, and we're prophesying over assigned leaders. So we would have a signed assigned group of, say, 30 or 40 people. And there would always be someone, a man or a woman, one of the young leaders in the, in the church, who would be um, emceeing the meeting. And I remember there was this guy who I'd never seen before in my life, and he's emceeing the meeting. Well, after, because we would go Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. So by the end of it, you feel like you want to prophesy over, you know, trees and, and, and anything that doesn't move or moves. And, um, and by the end of it, I remember this guy, I, I turned to him and I said, hang on a sec. 
I, I actually have to prophesy over you. And I remember him standing there, and he's looking at me because he's not allowed to. He's only supposed to be emceeing the meeting. And, uh, and I remember prophesying over him, and I began to declare this uh, intense apostolic anointing on him. Now, this is huge. These are huge words, right? Anyone in there could be thinking, oh, Diane, he's just the youth, one of the youth leaders. Stop it. Prophesied this powerful apostolic. He went down under the power of the Spirit of God. I felt drunk in the Spirit, and then I found out later his name is Corey Turner. Oh, wow. Now, Corey has just taken over leadership at Bridge Church. Now, guys, remember? Garden hose, okay? Let's, let's get it right. <laughs> now that we've clarified that. But God moves generationally. He wants, he needed people like me in my generation to call that out in someone like him. I'm sure other people were doing the same, but come on, guys, it's hard to be in ministry, and we need the encouragement of the prophetic words of God. We need the laying on of hands and the mantles to come upon us. And that's what happened that day. I'm sure there were other people. I'm not bragging about anything because I'm sure if he was here, he'd say, oh, I don't even remember that day. But I remember other people prophesying over me. But I'm not trying to make it about me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying that I saw a commissioning of powerful ministers in that season because that's what happens when the anointing comes. So my title today in this, the first week of the anointing series is The Anointing, Commissioning a Generation. The move touched every denomination and it catapulted us too into the next phase of our ministry. We saw the move of God trickling into the Baptist church. It it trickled into the Anglican church. You know, I remember down at Dingley Anglican Church, I remember Brahm and I, we heard about this mini revival that was happening. See, God doesn't believe in denominations. There's no such thing in God's kingdom. It's his body, it's his people. And I remember hearing about what God was doing at Dingley uh, um, Anglican Church, and we went down there and I took my mum, and I remember her falling out under the power of God. Now, if you know my mum, that's like, wow, this really has to be God because she's just your normal little Aussie lady, very practical-minded, but she got really powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit. And um, I remember somebody at that time prophesied over Brahm about a pastoral anointing coming on him. This is before Melbourne life was even really in our hearts. And it was the beginnings of hearing the voice, well, God, what are you saying? And uh, you see, unity comes when there's this kind of revival, Those very pastors and leaders from Dingley, they ended up coming to our manifest conferences. They'd bring their youth. And uh, and then a couple of, in 2014, I did a DMS for pastors and leaders. And three of their pastors, including the senior pastor, signed up for that. You know, when, when, when revival comes, when there's a manifestation of the anointing of God, unity is in the body of Christ. People forgot, forget labels, they forget, they forget the, you know, names of churches and branding. All they see is the body of Christ. And then, and then, of course, in 1995, we saw this amazing moment where uh, in Melbourne, and it happened in Adelaide and also, I, I believe, in, probably in New South Wales and Queensland, but I, I, I can speak personally for, from Adelaide and from Melbourne, uh, there was a man called Rodney Howard Brown who came. And he came to South Australia. And Brahm and I, we, we left our kids, our four kids, with, with my parents. And Josh was two months old. Brahm said to me this morning, he remembered that. He goes, Dad, we were crazy. I'm like, yeah, we've always been crazy. I remember when Jessica was three weeks old, we dragged her out every single night to, to revival meetings. Like, we're so hungry for God, for him. So we dragged this two-month-old child to Adelaide and we sat in meetings. We were a bit freaked out at first because there was this move of God. But then we heard he was coming to Melbourne in May. So by this time, Josh was four or five months old. We pulled our kids out of school for the week and we went to the um, entertainment center or whatever it's called, the glass house here in Melbourne. And it was packed with thousands of pastors. Phil Hills actually was the, he was the state superintendent of the ACC or AOG as it was known back then. Phil Hills, who's our apostolic elder for our church. He actually organized that entire meeting. He was a man who led the charge for, for that revival in, in our city. And uh, it was really amazing. I remember him and his wife, Barbara, um, they still talk about it. Whenever we, we see them every few weeks, we go to their house and talk, and we still talk about what happened at, at, in those days. Kevin Connor, 
my spiritual dad who's gone home to be with the Lord. I remember seeing him sitting up there with Phil. Remember, this is a, another church, not in the ACC. But when revival comes, unity comes to the fore. The unity of the true believers that just want the presence of God, the holiness of God. And Kevin Connor, they all got incredibly touched by God. They got drunk in the spirit. And that's where we both experienced some incredible deliverances. I remember Brown was one of the backing vocalists up on, on stage. And he, he got so hit by the spirit that, can you imagine Brown, who's Mr. Cool, he was literally crawling under chairs <laughs> and laughing under the power of God. And um, he couldn't control it. He was, where's Brown, where's Brown? Oh, oh, there's Brown. Um, and he was kind of, got caught in the chairs. But anyway, it's quite funny. Um, but he got really touched by the Holy Spirit at that point. You know, I, I got really drunk in the Spirit. I got really touched, thought I was going to laugh my head off under the power and said, I, I, I wept and I wailed in the presence of God. It's like a healing was happening. See, the Spirit of God can do in two seconds what years of counseling won't do. Not saying there's anything wrong with counseling, thank God for good counselors. But we need the presence. We need the anointing. We need the manifestation of that. A lot of people got saved. I remember Jack's dad, Roger, came forward to the older call and got saved and set that family on track to follow God. There is a commissioning that takes place in these kind of moments. That's where God sowed the seed in Brahm. In that week of revival meetings in Melbourne in May of 95, that's where the seed in Brahm started about starting a church. In fact, we could almost say that Melbourne life was birthed out of that revival. And uh, it all started because Rodney Howard Brown got touched. Then he came and he touched Australia. Mark McClendon, who you've heard me talk about from CBN, he's a great uh, voice and a great partner with us with DMS in, in, um, for, in Southeast Asia. He went to Toronto. He got smashed by God. And that's where God delivered him from an orphan spirit. And next week, we're going to touch a little bit on that. Over these next few weeks, we'll be touching on that. And um, he got touched and he came back and he was used all over Indonesia to minister. And there was, once again, there was a spreading of the fire of God that was, that was touching continents and touching nations. And this is how God moves. This is how he shifts his nations and he moves his people. It's an apostolic people, a sent people. It's messy, but it's not messy. It's, it's, it's out of control, but it's totally controlled because God is a God of order. There's incredible, there's still incredible order and accountability because it's his government here on earth, but it just moves fast. Things happen and it starts to move fast. And we saw that, we were witnesses to that. And uh, I remember the move becomes almost unstoppable. And so, you know, Ken God, who'd asked our pastors, Kevin Forlong, our west side, um, and Ke Kevin's ministered here several times and prophesied about an apostolic anointing on this church. He asked, Ken asked him if he, if he could take Brahm and I, and we traveled around Australia with him. And we saw, that's when Brisbane Entertainment Center happened. That's when, oh, just amazing things happened. It was an amazing move of God in every meeting because God was turning up everywhere. And I remember he sat us down and he said to us, and I can still picture the little restaurant we were sitting in, out in Footscray, I think it was, or Maidstone, and he said, I want to invite you guys as a family to come and live in England and be based with me, and we're going to travel the world ministering this revival. And, um, and I remember Bram saying, now, you've got to understand, for us, that was like, oh, my gosh, this would be incredible. We, we were like, you know, people, they, they chase storms, they, the storm chases. Well, we were like spirit of God chases. Like, we would go anywhere to find the presence of God. But Bram said, you know, Ken, thank you so much for that invitation, but I really feel God is calling me to start a church. And both of us made the decision that even if we only ever had 20 people, we would do that and we would build faithfully for God. So one year after that, Brahm met with Phil Hills as the superintendent of the ACC um, and submitted to him about starting a church. There's a commissioning that takes place when revival hits. But there was also... Tremendous resistance. There were, during those Rodney Howard Brown meetings, there were other Christians, tragically, who were at, this introduction was meant to take five minutes, okay. Um, they were picketing outside saying it was from the devil. And uh, this actually is what happens when there's a genuine move of God. But that is the history of the church. It's also the history, follows the history of Israel. There's unbelief and resistance. Often it's with the third generation, the first generation, you know, like, like Israel, they came out of Egypt, 
saw the, the great acts of God, the second generation, they renewed the covenant, they went in, they possessed the land, and they saw the great things of God, but then the third generation after Joshua died, it says in Joshua 2.10, they didn't know the acts of God, and they went on to do the story, the highlight of Judges is that they did what was right in their own eyes. So there's something about that third generation that we can see was a problem biblically, but even in our scenario, I believe I can see it, I saw the reality here in Australia. It was actually four generations ago where Pentecostalism started with an explosion in Australia. And uh, my generation was the third generation since Pentecost started in Australia. And I've always preached this, and I've always said this, probably not to the delight of, of many, many people in the body of Christ, but I've always said, and I'll say it again, and for a purpose, not to criticize or pull down, but to spur us onto greater things. But I believe with all my heart that my generation did something wrong. I believe that our generation failed to capture what God was doing in the generation above them. And um, we, we let the next generation down. You see, when a move of God comes, it's usually the closest denomination to it that will shut down and reject it because it doesn't fit into what they think it should look like. I remember when we started our church, we had someone, a pastor come, and just sort of said to us, almost in a derogatory term, well, you're building a unique kind of church. And um, I remember that thinking, yeah. And I know it's going to take guts and courage to continue to build that. And... Um, so after that season, and this is what's really sad, there was a dramatic shift in the Australian church scene. I'm giving you guys a bit of a history lesson here. Sadly, leaders arose from different denominations whose philosophy of ministry completely shut down and rejected what the Holy Spirit was doing. And it moved a large majority of the national culture of church in an opposite direction. So here we are, 25 years later. That's one generation later reaping the culture that ensued. Of course, there are pockets of power and pockets of churches. There always are. There will always be people that God uses. Um, but in a broad sense, the Australian church is a largely dead, lifeless, powerless church, trying to be relevant yet fast becoming so irrelevant. Sometimes seeker-sensitive, in many cases embarrassed by and afraid of the Holy Spirit in a group setting, seemingly unable to articulate what they should even look like, knowing the theology of the Holy Spirit, yet unfamiliar with the workings of how to actually minister with him. In some parts of the body of Christ, I'm talking about a broad section now, people are caught up more in branding and franchising their brand of church with a mono-style worship, where there's a trading of gifts for a status of title, Others are caught up more in head knowledge and rigidity. And some parts of the body are building more of a centralized system, a place of centralized ideologies that lend itself to using people to build a ministry called the house. So we end up with focus on making this centralized event on a Sunday morning called the house, making it beautiful and attractive, but it has to be flipped. Because rather than building or using their ministry to build people, who are in fact the real house. See, our job is not to use you to build our ministry, but it's to use our ministry to build you. It's to empower every individual and bring them to spiritual maturity, raising up and releasing an apostolic movement of God's people throughout the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. It breaks my heart to see huge churches. We've had mega churches spring up since that move of God and people think this, this must be a move of God. Listen, God is into big churches, okay? You just have to look at the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved on the first day. Not an issue with that, but it's what we do with the people. Are we conglomerating them? Are we bringing them all into one big mass there's only one or two people at the top that get to use their, their giftings or are we using our giftings and empowering people to go out and have churches all over the place, have Christians everywhere? I just think there's got to be a mind shift. But in God's grace and timing, I can feel that there is another move of God brewing. I can feel it. And I don't say that trying to be dramatic. I just get overwhelmed by God. 
as if God is giving us, our nation, our city, another chance. Can anyone else feel it? Anyone else want that? Yeah. But we can't make the same mistakes. God is inviting a whole new generation. And when I say new generation, I don't mean an age group. I'm talking about us now. Whatever age we are, a whole new generation to hear the call and respond to the commissioning of the Holy Spirit. A radical generation who will not be swayed and lured by the need to control and do things in their own strength. The most heartbreaking thing for me is to watch my generation spring out of that move of God and then twist it over here and make it about control and make it about being embarrassed by who the Holy Spirit is and making it about something that church was never meant to be. And we've ended up, and we actually saw a grassroots movement of young people. I watched them, my kids, my, my kids' friends, many of you in here, many of you in, in the same age group in other churches that responded to the call of God, and it looked like revival. But now we've seen literally the opposite happen, where many of those, is this true or not? Many of those young people, obviously not you because you guys are sitting here, but many of those young people, you would know so many of your friends who are now cynical about God. They've not just left church, they've left God. Is this true or not? Is this right? Yes, it is right. I know so many. A generation who craves and values authenticity and truth above all else, who says it's not about me, of my gift or my gift. See, we, we've caused a whole generation to be addicted to a pseudo atmosphere of God. but we need a generation that doesn't make ministry about their gift or what they can get out of it. I feel like God is saying, guys, take back Pentecost. Take it back. Pentecost has been hijacked, but your generation can take it back. So I kind of feel the stirring of the old messages (laughs) begin to burn in my heart. So we're starting this series on the anointing And uh, we're going to look at many of those things. I'm just going to give a few things now and then we're going to pray. And then next week we're going to get into it. So what is the anointing, you may ask? That's a very good question. Well, in Israel, the anointing was when there was kings, priests, prophets, it says that they were anointed. And it was a declaration of someone being set apart or consecrated. It's, It's Really, it, it sounds like this highly spiritual word, but it's actually a word that means for something to be, to be set apart for something. So you could actually say, I've anointed this coffee mug to be my mug. No one else is allowed to use this mug. That's Diane's mug. It's, see, it's got my name on it. Bram, don't you even think of using that mug. And uh, that's been consecrated. It's been sanctified. It's been set apart. That's what it means to be anointed. And that's in the, in the biblical sense. They were anointed. These guys were set apart. It was a literal mark on their lives. And you can write these scriptures down in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to, to Ramah. So here's a picture of the prophet coming in. He's anointing with the horn of oil. So God used the very, he, he worked with the symbol of his being. Oil is one of those symbols. And David was anointed with oil. And it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him that very day. Uh, David was anointed. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Remember the story about a dove coming down, another symbol of the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, worked with the symbol of his being. In the Old Testament, the verb of, uh, to anoint is mashah, and it means to, to consecrate, also to smear, to smear, to rub with something. So that's what it meant in the Old Testament. Uh, the effect that it produced in the anointed person or thing was that they became holy. They became set apart. And um, in the Bible dictionary, it says fundamentally, anointing was an act of God. It was an act of the Spirit of God to separate somebody for something. In, in, with for Saul in 1 Samuel 10:1, it says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil, once again, obviously the symbol of his being, and poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? So here we see the anointing for a commissioning. The anointing for being set apart. The anointing for being consecrated. The anointing for something happening. 
I believe something happened on Brahmanai in that move of God in the mid-90s. Obviously, it happened many years before as well, which we'll get into next week. But there was an increase for service that God placed on Brahms and my life for, to, to set us up for the next phase of our journey, which was to start this church. The effect that it produced was so powerful. The word anointed was used metaphorically, now you might want to write this down, to mean the bestowal of divine favor or appointment to a special place or function in the purpose of God. That's what it meant. The bestowal of divine favor or appointment to a special place or function in the purpose of God. Now, the effect was so powerful. There was a mark. There was a bestowal of divine favor. There was a separating off. There was an appointment. There was a special setting apart for an office or function. You know, I loved it when I watched, has anyone seen The Crown on Netflix? Yeah? No, everyone's just scared to put their hand up. Yeah. Um, it was so amazing because, you know, when, when the queen was being uh, set as a queen, she was being anointed. It, it was amazing to, to realize and recognize the theology that was coming through and the, and the wording that was being used. She was anointed and set apart. It was, it, that language was used when she was appointed as queen. So this isn't some weird, super spiritual, this is biblical language. This is royal language. This is powerful language. And it's the kingdom of heaven language. All right? So kings, priests, prophets were anointed. Elijah anointed Elisha. Elijah was the prophet who, who was like a father to Elisha. He threw his cloak around him as a symbol of, of the, the mantle of anointing, 1 Kings 19.16. And it says, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall... So this is... Uh, he's, he, talking to Elijah here, you shall anoint him king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it says he threw his cloak over him. And that's when the anointing came upon Elisha. I'm telling you, something happens. When the anointing hits us, in the, in the Old Testament, the vessels used for worship in the tabernacle were anointed. When we, in the week that I'm going to talk about what the corporate anointing looks like, we're going to break this all down. But the scriptures are, you might want to write it down, is um, Exodus 29, 36. Exodus 30, verse 26. And I believe I might have made a typo here, but hopefully this is the right scripture, 49 to 10. But we'll talk about all this in, in probably week four or something. There was, even in Exodus, there was a recipe for the holy anointing oil. It involved compounding and blending sweet and bitter spices with olive oil. And this spoke of unity because true anointing is manifest in the unity of the church. Remember I talked about that before? You know, it's when, it's when the Spirit of God seems to, we can't seem to find him that people begin, pastors get territorial and there are factions and people get, it's, it's the flesh that takes over. Can we, can we agree to that? Uh, I can agree to that. I've seen that time and time again. But when the Spirit of God begins to be poured out, that sort of stuff goes. There's a, there's a new wave of, of, of unity that comes. A holy anointing oil, it was a holy anointing oil before the Lord. It was significant of the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, nothing holy, or nothing unholy, sorry, was to be upon the people of the Lord who were anointed to the office of ministry in the sanctuary. Another point is that it was to continue through all generations. I love this. Each generation must experience that holy anointing of the Lord. One generation cannot live on the anointing that was on the previous generation. Just because I get up here and tell great stories about what happened, that is not enough. You can't run on the smell of an oily rag. Is that the right phrase? You can't run on old stories and go, oh, back in the day. No. Every generation has to grab hold of this holy anointing for itself. Has to say, okay, now it's for me. And, you know, I've said over and over over the last few years that it's time. You know, we're getting older. We've got to, we've got to raise up a generation. We've got to impart for, what, for the inheritance that God has given us, for our portion. We have to do our bit and raise up. But there's got to be a response as well. There's got to be a response from a generation. 
And um, it's like I said before, it's always the third generation that can be the issue. So it's, you know, we've got to make sure that every generation experiences the works of God and can honestly say, I walk with the Lord. I have seen the hand of God. I'm not just going off stories from my father and my mother. And I remember when I was 10 years old, I saw a miracle. No, 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 no. There's got to be every generation has got to say, I know who God is. I journey with God. I know what it looks like to have his hand touch my life. It's got to be, especially us pastors. Ben, you would know this, even for your own kids. Is that right? Our kids, my kids, our kids have got to know what it is to have the hand of God touch their lives. They've got to find Jesus for themselves. So it's important now for Brahma and I to be passing on that anointing and raise up apostles and prophets. There's got to be a commissioning, another commissioning. Another point of the anointing oil was that it was not to be poured upon man's flesh, which speaks of the Adamic nature. Man is flesh and God does not require ministry of the flesh in its fallen and corrupt state. So much activity in the house of God is simply religious flesh in God's mind. And the anointing oil was not to be poured on such. Some of these things I've actually taken out of Kevin Connor's book on the tabernacle of David. See, the word of God and the spirit of God, they've never become old-fashioned. They never become old-fashioned. Truth never, never wanes. Truth never fades. Truth never becomes old-fashioned. I'm going to be 80 and I'll still be preaching this. So, you know, if you don't want it now... Don't, don't be here in 20 years' time. Okay? I might not look as cool as I do now. But see, the Holy Spirit doesn't need our flesh, doesn't need our halls, doesn't need our blue floors, doesn't need lights on, lights off, doesn't need a pseudo atmosphere. He needs hearts who are completely yielded. In the Old Testament, uh, the noun for anointing was anointed one, or Mashiach. Does that sound familiar? That's where Messiah comes from, Mashiach. Well, it is Messiah. He was the noun of the anointing. He was the anointed one. In the New Testament, it's about doing a job. I've got many scriptures here, but we'll talk on that in the next few weeks. All right. Who and what is the Holy Spirit? Let's just briefly look at a few more things, and then we're going to close. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is the power of God in operation. He was there for the birth of creation in Genesis 1. He was there for the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. He was there for the birth of the church, and he was there for the birth of the new creation, you and I. That is the Holy Spirit. What is the anointing? The act of consecrating someone and the manifestation of being anointed is the tangible power of the Holy Spirit for a purpose. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was to come upon us for a purpose. Jesus said, wait, in Luke 24, 49, he said, you are to wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power, until what has been promised by the Father comes upon you. That's that clothing Think about Elijah clothing Elisha. It's a mantle that comes upon us. Acts 1 verse 8, he says to the disciples, don't even think about building my church. There they are thinking Jesus is going to restore the nationalism of Israel. It's going to look like this humanly kind of let's all radically you know, rise up and be Christians and declare who we are. That's why this whole thing in Australia of Christians trying to fight for their rights and, you know, thump our chests and, you know, you can't tear us down. We're Christians and we're going to stand up. Forget all that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with standing up for your rights in the workplace and all that kind of stuff. But come on, guys. The church is called to be an instrument of God's government on earth. No, the Holy Spirit will not anoint flesh. He will not anoint our rights, but he will anoint a people who are humble and will present themselves and position themselves and say, God, here I am. Anoint me. He said, don't even think about starting my church until the Spirit of God comes upon you in power. And when he comes upon you, whoo, 
When he comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And that word witness means martyrs. That doesn't sound like someone standing up for their rights and beating their chest and say, come on, we're Christians. You've got to give us a fair go. No, no, no. We're called to die to everything. We're called to hate our lives because if we don't hate our lives, we're not worthy of following him. We're called to lay down our lives, but we can't do that in the natural. The anointing won't come on flesh. He will come on hearts that say, God, I'm ready for anything. I'm ready for anything. Give me, give me, the, the, let me see the glory of your kingdom. People who will serve, who will lay down their lives. And then we are anointed. And, he, and Jesus said to the disciples, no, I'm not coming back to raise up some nationalistic Israel. No, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm coming back with a spirit of power. And you will know what it is to be my martyrs so that you can witness for me and display and actually show who I am. See, it's about us getting out of the way and him taking over completely. The Spirit of God has to do this. He has to do this. But we have to ask him to do this. We have to ask him and position ourselves for this. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, brings change to create. It's tangible. That's why wherever Jesus went in power, he saw the result or the proof of the anointing. Acts 10, 38 says, You know of Jesus and of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, the dominion of a greater power displaces a lesser power. That's what a kingdom is, a king in his domain, a king in his dominion. The bestowal of divine favor or appointment to a special place or function in the purpose of God, that's what it is. What does the anointing do? Wow, Luke 4.18 tells us everything. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's Christ, our head. If we're the body of Christ, we're to extend that work here on earth. All right. Next week, we're going to be looking at why we need the anointing, what it looks like in us, what it looks like upon us. But we need it also for the calling on our lives. So I want us to pray now. We're going to, we're going to close by praying. And I want us to pray. I want to ask the music team to come on up. But I feel like there needs to be a commissioning of a generation. And I, I don't want to just give an older call, like a, just who wants to be commissioned? Because I believe you wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't want to be commissioned. But let's position ourselves for God to do something in our hearts. And let's pray. Who wants to pray this in? Who wants to see this? Yeah. You know, it's not just happening here. I just heard from Phil and Barbara Hills that, at Bridge with Corey. There's a stirring as well. They're praying and they don't know what's going to happen next. Like, this is, this is the Holy Spirit who's doing this. So let's stand. Who would love to see, hands up honestly, who would actually love to see something like this come onto our nation? Who would actually love to be a part of that? All right. Let's understand what that means, hey? All right, let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. I thank you that you've, you've anointed us, Lord. You've anointed us to be your body here on, on the earth, Lord Jesus. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. We're going to begin to pray for our, this generation. We're going to begin to pray for our city and pray for our nation. God wants to commission, God wants to release ministers for the next generation, for the next move. He wants to raise up apostles and leaders. He wants to raise up men and women who will put their hand up and say, God, send me. An apostolic people who won't be afraid to let go and let God totally take control of their lives. Guys, there's nothing else worth living for. Come on, begin to pray. Begin to pray. Begin to pray.